want to, uh, we're going to continue on our series on loving like, love like Jesus. And uh, Larry, of course, picked up on that today, which was awesome. But uh, if you have your Bible with you, I want you to open it up to the book of John chapter 13. John 13. And uh, I want to share something with you. We talk a little bit about this, especially during the the Passover season or the or near Easter, and uh, that is about where Jesus washes feet. And in John 13, um, last week we looked at how do we love like Jesus, we forgive. This week we take a look at that Jesus washing feet, and uh, of course that has to do with service. Uh, John 13 says, Now therefore, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come and that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And if you like to write in your Bible, which I encourage you to get a Bible, you can write in. Uh, I would underline that phrase. He loved, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God, and he went to God. So notice here that Jesus is even in faith as he knows what he's about to go through. He rises from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself, and that after that he pours water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. And it's such a powerful thought here. And of course, you know, what happens is, is that um, Peter says, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And it, it's, it, it wasn't so much about the foot washing made him a part of Jesus, but it was submitting to what Jesus wanted to do, to, to serve. Jesus said that I have come to serve, not to be served. So let's remember that that was his Christ's thinking while he was here on this earth. I'm not here for you to to serve me. I'm here to serve you. All right? Now, this creates a little bit of a paradox for you and I because many times what ends up happening in our thinking is is that, especially with church and our Christianity, is, is that we come more to be served than to serve. But the heart of Christ, to love like Jesus is, is that he said, my heart is to serve, not that you would serve me. And that really creates, like I said, a real paradox for you and I, because, you know, we're, the tendency for ourselves is, in our natural world, is to become consumers. And we have a lot of people that are just church consumers. They just consume whatever's available in the church. You know, the church is more about providing service for my family. For, you know, in fact, they did a national study uh, proven fact, they asked people, why do, you, why do you go to church? And they said, to meet my spiritual needs. Nothing about so that I can put my gifts to work. Nothing about so that I can contribute was about that I can get my spiritual needs met. So we have folks even today that will run from camp to camp because wanting to get their spiritual needs met. And here's the problem with all of that. That was never the paradigm or the pattern that Jesus taught us. That's a sinful pattern, actually, because that is contrary, totally contrary and it, it, to what Jesus tried to teach us about what love is. That love does not have anything to do with you getting your needs met. Love has everything to do with you meeting other people's needs. I didn't think I'd get many amens on this message. You know, we all talk, like I said, look, we all talk about, oh, man, I want to I I love like Jesus, and, and so, but then we think, well, I want to be loved. I want, I want to feel the love of Jesus, okay? Well, I think he showed you how much he loves you when he spread his arms out on that cross and poured out his blood and then went into heaven for you and then spent three, three days and nights in hell so that he could take back the keys of death, hell, and the grave and then resurrected from the dead and then ascended on high and then gave you all authority on earth while he's sitting in heaven. Glory to God, Pastor, that's awesome. But he says to us, look, I came to serve, not to be served. 
But we all know how irritated we get when we're not getting served. I mean, we do. We, could, we get frustrated. You go to a restaurant, and if they don't come to your table within just a few minutes, man, you're aggravated. You're thinking about cutting the tip. I mean, you, you know, you're, you, you're, you're frustrated because you're there to be served, and they ought to get to you, and they ought to take care. It doesn't matter what else is going on or that it's somebody else is being served right now. Oh, man, we want to love like Jesus. Pastor, I want to love. I just want to love like Jesus. Well... Do you really? Do we really want to love like Jesus? You know, it's not easy to love like Jesus because in a consumer world where everything is about us getting what we want for our needs and make sure that me and my own are taken care of, that it could become very difficult for us to love like Jesus. In fact, I will say this. We're a peculiar people according to Scripture, and that's one of the reasons we're peculiar. Because we are not like the world that says, meet my needs. We are like Jesus who says, I'm here to meet your needs. Well, pastor, I have needs in my life. Well, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So Jesus washes their feet. He says, I, that's what I'm going to do. And we don't practice foot washings. There are brother, the Brethren Church practices foot washing. Some places will have them. I've been a part of a few of them. Um, but uh, it's not a big part of what, what we do, but, but in, our, in our church culture, because it's extremely uncomfortable, and who in the world wants somebody touching your feet, right? I mean, and plus, most of you wouldn't want us to see your feet, right? I mean, you know, my feet are nasty looking. I run, you know, I, I, I got blown out veins and toes that bend the wrong way and got all kinds. You'd probably look at my foot and go, you look like a hobbit. And, uh, you know, but, but so nobody, you know, we're not like, okay, well, let's all take our shoes off and take a look, peek at the feet, right? Let's see what your feet look like this morning. And uh, more than that, now I want you to think about this, more than that, he got down on his hands and knees and he began to wash their feet. That part of them that was on the dusty roads, walking on those dirty roads and in the mud, and their feet would have been covered with all kinds of stuff from the, the streets. And yet Jesus humbled himself and got down on his knees, and he began to wash their feet. And, and look, I, if he came in here and that's what he was going to do with you, you tell me what you would do. If Jesus walked up to you and said, I'm here to serve you today, I want to wash your feet, take your shoes and socks off, I know what I would say. I'd say, uh, I'm, let me wash your feet, please. You're my savior. I love you. I want to, I wanna, you know, that very tendency in our life. See, the acts of service of Christ compel us not to want to let him do this for us, but they compel us to want us to do this for him. I have a painting in, uh, in the conference room of a businessman sitting at his desk, and Jesus is washing his feet. And, and, and the businessman is just sitting there crying because it's so overwhelming to him that Jesus is washing his feet, that he is being served. But see, Jesus is showing us one of these great examples of how he loved his disciples even to the end, how he loved them, and that was by humbling himself at their feet to wash their feet, to wash their feet. You know, in Matthew 23, it tells us that during this time, it doesn't talk about the foot washing, but it talks about at the meal, how that the disciples started out in verse 11 saying, who's the greatest? Who do you think, who do you think he loves the most, right? Who do you think is the best here, right? Because we got, you know, they're doing the, uh, you've heard people say this, I'm God's favorite child, you know, that kind of a deal, right? So, you know, who do you think God's favorite, who do you think Jesus's favorite is here at the table? And the Lord overheard it. I mean, he knew what they were doing. They're all fussing with each other, you know, because we're, that's kind of like our sinful nature is we got to figure out who's the best out of the bunch, right? We see that in the workplace. We see it in churches. We see it in school systems. We sit on athletic teams. You know, uh, who's the top dog, male and female? Listen, women are just as competitive as men, sometimes even more so. Don't shut me down because I'm preaching real good, right? 
And so, you know, you got this, this level of competition busts out and, uh, among the disciples. Well, who do, you th- who do you think he loves the most? Who do you think? Of course, you know, John's over there going, wait, I mean, come on, guys. You all know it's me, right? I mean, I'm the, in fact, I wrote my whole book about I'm the guy that, loved, that he loved the most. So, I mean, right? And Jesus says, look, guys, you don't know, you don't understand. It's not about who I love the most. It's not about that uh, who's the greatest. He says, if you want to be greatest, this is his own words, Christ's own words. He says, then become the servant of all. He said, he that serves is the greatest. Not he who has the best stuff, not, he, not him who has the most money, not him who is the most talented, not him who is the most, has the most beautiful voice or the, can play every instrument in the world, not him who is the most eloquent, awesome preacher. He that is greatest among you is the one who will serve all. How do we love like Jesus? We wash feet. This morning as I was praying and just kind of going over my notes for the last minute, the Lord reminded me of a passage of Scripture. In fact, if you have your Bible there, I want you to turn to Galatians 5, 6 with me. And a great passage of Scripture uh, that uh, Paul, Paul writing to the church at Galatia said this in verse 6, For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision avails anything nor uncircumcision. But he goes on and says, But faith worketh by love. Faith that is working by love. So he, now I want you to just walk through this with me, all right? So he's saying, hey, if you want your faith to work in your life, the only way it can work is with love. In fact, the word worketh there in the Greek language is a Greek word, energio, and it means faith is energized by love. So without love, faith cannot even be energized. But see, when we think about love, what we tend to think about, and, and in all honesty, we tend to think about a feeling. I mean, we all say that we don't, but we really do think about love. I don't feel very, lo- I've had people say, I don't feel very loved right now, okay? So what does that feel like to be loved? Is that security we're talking about? Is that, you know, uh, they wrote a great book about the five love languages. You know, is it that you, you, you need more touch in your life? You need more words of affirmation? You need uh, gifts? Gifts are awesome, right? Um, you know, I mean, this is what's going to make you, what's going to make you feel, right? What's going to make you feel more loved? Well, I don't feel loved in my marriage, okay? Well, what's going to make you feel more loved? What is it that you need to, what, what is that feeling? And I'm going to tell you that love is not a feeling. That it really, even though we may define it in our culture as an emotion, love is an action. Because you're not asking something, you're not asking us to impart a feeling to you, you're asking us to do something for you that will make you feel loved. Somebody says in a church, I don't feel very, that church just doesn't have any love. What they're saying is that church didn't love me. What does that mean? They didn't shake my hand. They didn't greet me. They didn't hug me. They didn't help me. Love is an action. By your own, look, by the, by the results that you expect, we are defining love as an action. That it really doesn't have anything to do with the romantic notion of emotion that we might want to feel. That's, there isn't a definition of that in Scripture. It's called eros love. It's erotic love. It's a, it's a love that's something that's happening within. But that's not the love that Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about, look, if you love me, then here's the action that I want you to do. In fact, Peter and him got into it. Peter kept fussing with him over it. Jesus kept saying, Peter, do you love me? And Jesus, Peter's like, well, you know I love you. And Jesus said, look, if you really love me, then what did he tell him to do? So he said, do something, right? Not, look, okay, so if you love me, then I'll love you back. That isn't what he said at all. He said, look, if you love me, then I want you to do something. Why did he say that? Because faith works by love. And without love, faith don't work. I know that's horrible English. I know I'm on the school board. I should use better English than that. But, but, but you get it, right? Without love, what is that? Love is an action. It's an action verb. So without love, 
My faith will not work. And in fact, get this now, in the book of uh, Galatians, Paul goes into this great discourse by the Spirit about faith without works is dead. Do you know why it's dead? Because the faith can't work because it don't got no love. Bad English again. Because if there was love, then faith would bring action and we would be doing something with that faith to help other people or to wash feet or to impart into other people's lives. Hallelujah. Faith works by love. So here's what the Lord said to me. Faith works by love because love works. Because love works. Because when we love, we are doing, we are acting, we are serving, we are helping. We're not waiting to be served. We are proactive in serving. Now look, if you get offended, what is your tendency to do? Stop working. Right? It is. Withdrawal. Who wants to be offended? But yet, Larry just read it in Luke 6, 38. What did Jesus tell us to do? When people hurt you, work harder. Well, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> well, look, I'm only in sales, not management. can only preach what he said. I can't, I can't, I mean, I'd love to, I'd love to preach a sermon that, uh, that was my own making, but I'm sorry, it has no power to it. The only stuff that's got power is the stuff he said. So here we are, man. We're on this earth, and we're surrounded by people all around us and, and stuff that's going on, and the Lord's saying, okay, I, hear, I want you to get this. I want you to get this in your heart. Okay, you're, you're a believer now. You believe in me, and if you love me, then here's how I want you to love me. I want you to love people around you. Well, no, God, it's just a lot easier to love you. Well, that, look, that's only partly true because we love God when he says what we want. But we are not super favorable towards God when he says something that we didn't like. Like you need to straighten up and shut your mouth. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. When God says to you, your problem's right under your nose. And it's not your mustache. It's what you say. It's how you talk about yourself. It's what you're letting into your heart. See, those are tough things that God will say. And God will say, well, I want you to forgive because I forgave you so much. Well, you've never been hurt like I've been hurt, Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Faith works by love. Look at, um, I want you to flip over there with, to Acts 6.10 with me. <laughs> Oh, man, I want to love like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. Hebrews 6.10, great passage. For God is not unrighteous. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of, what's that next word in your Bible? Your labor of love. God will not forget your work and labor of love which you have showed toward his name. So here's the deal. What you're doing is you're working and laboring, a labor of love, and you're not doing it to others, but you're doing it toward his name. You see that in your Bible there? So you underline that, toward his name. This is in Hebrews 6.10. Did I? I was just testing you. Yeah, Acts 6.10, or Hebrews 6.10. <laughs> yeah, now you see it. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work. Underline your work in your Bible. Labor of love, your work, your labor of love, <coughs> excuse me, which you have showed, <clears throat> not to mankind, not to humanity, 
See, this is why, this is why the social gospel doesn't work because uh, this is why it will never work is because social gospel is towards people and that's never a win-win for you. I mean, that, you'll have some win, but you'll have a lot of losses too. But when it's towards his name, that's always a win-win because he doesn't ever forget that you did it. So if you help someone... Okay, let's take, let's take something Jesus said. If you give a cup of cold water unto one of these little ones, all right, then he says, what did he tell us? You've done it as unto me, right? All right, so here we go. So Mona's a little one down in Saginaw. We're down there helping them kids. And so I give her a cup of cold water and she says, what's this? I say, well, I just wanted to bless you with a cup of cold water. And she throws it back in my face and tells me to go to you know where. Don't say that can't happen because it does happen. Now, I can stand there and go, I'm never doing this again. And here's the problem. You feel that way because you didn't do it to him. You did it to them. Yeah. And it hurts because who you put your trust in, that's where you're setting yourself up. When you trust men, it's not going to work. Even kids, I mean, you know, working with kids and working with teenagers and working with, <laughs> working with adults and look, all of it, it. If you do it for them, you're looking for your reward from them. And it's not going to happen, okay? In fact, I'll, I'll give you a, 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 just another level of this. If you work for your boss to get paid, then you're working for them and you're going to be disappointed. But if you do it as unto him, he sees everything that you do. That your boss, your employer should say probably never sees. And may never even acknowledge it. But he doesn't miss a trick. He doesn't miss a bit of it. He sees it all. So looking back at the verse now. God is not unrighteous to forget your work and your labor of love, which you have showed toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. I want to read a great quote to you. This is by John Wesley, one of my heroes in the faith. And um, listen to this. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. We'd all agree with that. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. Well, I just want to love Jesus. I just want to love the Lord, Pastor. Well, you can't see him. But you can see the little kid who needs a cup of cold water. You can see the divorced woman that's trying to raise all those kids by herself. You can see the guy with his hand out standing in the street. You can see the hurting people around you. And here's what God says. Whatever you do unto the least of these, the least. See, the Lord is, like I said, we're peculiar. We're, we're, we're supposed to be so different than the world because in, in this manifestation of love, you know, we talk about, you know, they'll know we're Christians by our love, by our love, by our love, by our love, and uh, the love that we have for one another. Okay, great. So the world loves to, to, to receive back. You and I are told to love Jesus by loving people who we may never get a reward from. And then Jesus takes it a step further and he says, and I actually would prefer that you would just find people that can't do anything back for you and love them, then that way your reward will come from me. Now you tell me that is just not the most peculiar thing you ever heard in your life, right? I mean, that's just, that's just so, wait, you mean I'm supposed to help a poor person that can't help themselves? Yeah, yeah. You mean they can't give me back anything? Right, right. They can't give you back anything. 
See, because the Lord's saying, what I want you to do is I want you to learn to love. And it, now watch this. And if you're really going to learn to love, you got to learn to love expecting my return of honor and love and not their return of honor and love. Because the minute that you start doing it for them, you got your reward right there. He says, look, if you give to somebody that can give back to you, you already got your reward. That's why he tells us in a lot of ways we should do stuff without anybody even knowing about it. And not take an Instagram picture of it and put it on our Facebook page and hashtag look at me. Look what I did. Look who I helped. Aren't I great? Don't I have an awesome ministry? I gave some money to some people or I gave some food to some people. I mean, it's one thing if you have a ministry and you're trying to get the word out about what you're trying to do, but it, you know, just so that we can, the Lord says, look, if you're trying somehow in your own life to say, you know, look at what a fine Christian I am because I did this. He said, you got your reward. That's what Pharisees do. Wow, pastor, this is so absolutely awesome. You guys are being so quiet. Uh, let's take it. Let's just go ahead. I mean, let's just go deeper into this. You know, when the church, we love to talk about Acts chapter one and Acts chapter two, right? I mean, they're amazing because all of a sudden the church is like explosive growth. You got 5,000, 3,000, you got all these people coming in the kingdom. Chapter three, chapter four, got some persecution starts breaking out. Chapter five, what do you find the church doing in their services by chapter six? No, they're serving people. In Acts chapter 6, they're trying to take care of people of widows. They're trying to help people that, that can't help themselves. And a, and a true widow has no family to take care of them. So I, that's what a real widow is defined as. You know, look, if, a, if, you, if, if you're a widow and you have kids, your kids ought to take care of you. Amen. I mean, it's every right that that should, should be that way. Amen. And, uh, but uh, if you have no children, you know, and you're by yourself, an orphan, what does an orphan have? They have nobody to help them. There's no parents they can go to. There's nobody they can ask for help. They're broke. They, they need other people. They have to rely on other people to help them. Now, by Acts 6, the church is serving. Let's go to Acts 13, one of the greatest spiritual examples of what the church looks like. Acts 13, I love this passage in Acts chapter 13 and verses 1 through 3. And... Uh, it, and this is, just, uh, this is just so incredible to me because uh, as you read this, uh, you see what the church should look like. I mean, absolutely what it should look like. So Acts 13, verse 1. And so there were in the church that was at Antioch, which is about 300 miles from Jerusalem, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul was there, okay? And they, now look, this is it. Most churches take verse two, and this is all of what we build, what we do around. And they ministered to the Lord. And I mean, we're charismatic, so we definitely, you know, we believe in ministering to the Lord, right? And they ministered to the Lord, and they fasted, and the Holy Ghost said, separate. Now we, look, they did, they ministered to the Lord, and then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost started speaking. Man, charismatics, we love that, right? I mean, come on. The power of God's moving, prophetic words. The worship team's got a word. Pastor had a word from heaven. I mean, it was awesome. They ministered to the Lord. And look at what, the, <laughs> and look what he said. And he said, Separate Barnabas and Saul for the work whereto I have called them. So when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. Now, the word ministered here does not mean that they sang worship songs. See, because that's how we tend to think. Oh, man, I'm, I'll tell you, oh, I'm ministering to the Lord right now. Oh, Jesus, I just love you and uh, you're just so wonderful and how great thou art and amazing grace and the old rugged cross, and I'm just ministering to you, Lord. Well, you're not ministering to the Lord. You're singing to the Lord. The word ministered here in the Greek language is the word liturgio. And liturgio, in, the, in its essence, what it means is the work of the people. The work of the people. 
So here's what was happening. Can I tell you what was happening really in the church? In the church of Antioch, they did the work as unto the Lord. And then God spoke. You know why God doesn't speak all the time? Because we're not here to do the work for him. We're here to do the work for ourselves. Ouch. Oh, man, I felt a bee sting on that one. Well, pastor, what about my needs? Did they get their needs met? Right? They get their needs met because they did the work as unto the Lord, and the Lord doesn't miss a trick. He knows exactly. And look, I, and I'm not judging. I, gotta, I can only judge my own heart. But I don't know why you sang worship songs this morning. Was it so you could feel better about your spiritual life? Was it because you're, you know, I've had people tell me, man, thank God I'm in church today because I need a lift. I need a, hey, pastor, you know, come on, get me excited about Jesus. Help me fall in love with the Lord again. Help me get my, this is tough. You know, I thought you was going to preach a nice message about loving like Jesus. What do I do? What do we do with this? I mean, you know, look, if you're ignorant, that's fine. But I don't think you're ignorant today. I mean, you can act ignorant if you want to. But, I mean, we're looking at what Jesus said. We're looking at what the church was doing. You know, the church was never meant to be about us just coming together and singing songs and hearing sermons. Ever. It was about us doing the work. And you do that every single day of your life. See, somehow in the kingdom, what we think is, is that saved Absolutely. Baptized? Yes. Filled with the Holy? Amen. Serve? Let me think about it. Come on. Hey. Well, I need time. I got to get straight. I'm not ready yet. What's it going to take to get you ready? (laughs) Right. I mean, you know, I I know there's a need, but I I just don't have time. I I don't see how I could do it. There's a, John Maxwell uh, tells this, this is a true story. A uh, guy was his Sunday school teacher named Roy Evans, seventh grade. And uh, John is uh, in the Sunday school class. He had missed one week. And so when he came in, the, they were doing, you remember back in Sunday school, how they'd go through and, and they'd find, uh, they'd, they'd go through your le- attendance list. And uh, he says, hey, John, I noticed you weren't here last week. He says, yeah. He said, hey, I want to, I want to see you, John, and I want to see Mentioned two other names. I can't remember what the other boys' names were. I want to see you guys after class today. Now watch this. Now please stay with me on this. If you, I don't want you to miss this. So here, these boys, you know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, I'm in for it, right? Uh, three of us got to stick after. So Roy brings them aside. And this isn't Roy, this isn't Roy, Roy Rogers was his name. Did I say Roy Evans? Yeah, it was Roy Rogers, but it's not that Roy Rogers. Roy gets the three boys together, and he says, boys, I was praying over the list this morning. Makes me wonder how many of our teachers pray over the list of kids that they deal with every week before they get in class. And uh, he says, I was praying over the list, and while I was praying, the Holy Spirit said to me that you three boys are called into full-time ministry. Seventh grade. Seventh grade. And he says, I want to lay hands on all three of you boys today, and I want to pray over you because I believe God has anointed you for full-time ministry, and so I'm just going to do that. Now, this is just their Sunday school teacher. So John Maxwell ends up full-time ministry. The other two boys both ended up in full-time ministry. 30 years, or excuse me, 20 years later, John decides to go try to find Roy. You know what Roy's doing? Still teaching seventh grade in church. He sat down with him. He said, Roy, you know, all three of us that day that you laid hands on, we're all in full-time ministry today, serving God, got great churches and doing tremendous things for the Lord. He said, Roy, was there anybody else that you had prayed for through the years? He said, well, John, he says, you know, I I went back through my records because I keep pretty good records because I keep praying for you guys. He said, in the lifetime of my serving as a seventh grade teacher at the church, 
God has used me to call 30 young men into full-time ministry. Now, you know what we think in the church? Well, I can't go serve in the, with those kids because I'll miss out on the word that's going to be preached in the sanctuary. Something powerful is going to happen. You, you tell me what's more powerful, that those 37th grade boys. You, 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 let me ask you a question. Who's going to get a great reward when they get to heaven? Old Roy is that sat there and taught those boys and loved them and laid hands. Well, you know, Pastor, I just don't know. I just say, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but, but I might miss out on something. I don't think Roy felt like he missed out on a thing. I don't think Roy ever came to class going, oh, man, I'll tell you, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I think Roy came in there every single day to serve and say, Lord, Man, I'm ready. Is there any of these boys that you're calling? Is there anybody here that I can lay hands on? See, when our attitude changes and it doesn't become about us and it becomes about the others that are around us, that's how Jesus loved. That's what he was trying to say to you and I. Amen. And you know, most people wouldn't know about Roy, but John Maxwell said that he said, that was the day I believed that, that I received my ordination in seventh grade because when Roy laid his hands on me and I ended up in full-time ministry. Nobody will know Roy's name except John's telling about it. But you know what? Roy doesn't care. He isn't writing a book about my success as a seventh grade Sunday school teacher. Look at me. Look what I've done. You know, Sharon was traveling home years and years ago. Greg was just a little guy. Um, she was traveling home from Kansas City. She was broke. This was before we were married, and she was just broken. I mean, her life was broken. She was coming home because she was her mom and dad had to send her the money to fly her home. She had tried and tried and tried. Her husband had abandoned her. I mean, it was horrible. She's coming home, and she gets to Pittsburgh. She got this little crying little boy, and uh, how old was he, Sharon? He couldn't have been two, almost two. And I mean, he's fidgeting around. And you know, I don't know if you've ever been in this kind of situation, but when you don't have any money and they cancel your next flight, you don't have money to buy food. You're trying, they've graciously put him up in a hotel because the flight, because of weather, was canceled. But Sharon's standing in line trying to figure out what she's going to do and up walk this elderly couple to talk to her. And they said, they just were sharing with her, what are you doing, where are you going? And, uh, and then uh, they, they shared a few things about their life with her, about that they had a kid that was going to a Rama, is that right? And, and then they handed her $20. And then they were gone. What did that mean to her that day? Maybe you've never been broken, huh? A couple that nobody knows their name, nobody knows where they're at today, helped rescue a young lady that was trying to raise a two-year-old boy by herself. Fast forward, we're at the church, Sharon's doing a Bible study. While we're doing, she's doing this Bible study, this girl comes in all screwed up on drugs. I mean, she's messed up. She's been selling magazines to get cocaine, we think, is what she was telling us about. She's hyped. I mean, she is so hyped. And she's, Sharon, begins, Sharon stops the Bible study and starts talking to her. And uh, while Sharon's talking to her, um, she finds out that this girl feels trapped. She says, I can't get out of what I'm in. I'm in, in this deal you know, I ran away from home, and I started doing this, and now I'm hooked on drugs, and, and I, and I got to work to get the drugs. And, and so Sharon says, do you want to go home? And she said, well, I, I would, but I don't think I can. I don't have any money. I've used all my money to buy drugs and to live, you know, to eat, and, and, and I can't get home. And so Sharon, so Sharon says, well, here's the first thing we're going to do. We're going to call your mom and dad. We're going to call you mom and dad. So she called her parents, and, you know, they're just, I mean, they don't know if their little girl's dead or alive. I mean, and she's called home. That's the first they've heard from her. 
And Sharon talks to him and says, we're going to give her a bus ticket and we're going to get her home. And so they took Sharon. We bought a bus ticket. Sharon took her down because we need to make sure because you never know with drug addicts what's going to happen. Sharon took her down to the bus station, got her on that bus and made sure that bus pulled away with her in it. And where was she from? Do you remember? She was from out west somewhere and sent her home. But who knows that if Sharon, that girl that Sharon helped that day, she don't know who Sharon is. She just think about, well, I was in Marietta. She might be telling that testimony, married to some pastor's wife somewhere, about how that she got delivered from drugs and how somebody loved her and that she doesn't remember her name and she doesn't know who she is, but how that somebody took the time. Do you think Sharon had to, all these years later, do you think Sharon has to go before the Lord and say, well, Lord, I don't know, was it really worth it to do that for that little girl? Do you think that couple that, that did that, do you think they, 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 when they flew to wherever they were going to next, they were thinking, well, you know, um, I don't know if that was really worth it. She didn't say a whole lot or, you know, we didn't exchange numbers. We don't know how the story turned out. We don't know if it was a good deal or not. Oh, we want to love like Jesus, man. What's that look like? Wow. What's it look like? It's really not about our actions. It's really about our attitude. It's not so much what we do. It's what's our attitude towards what we do. That'll tell us right away what's wrong with us. Look at your neighbor and say he's talking to you right now. I got to be a greeter today, man. It's raining. I don't want to greet. I don't want to do that. Oh, gosh. You know, I'd rather just stay home. I'll watch the service online. It'll be a lot easier. I'll have coffee and eat a donut and whatever. But that is never what Jesus intended for the church. Ever, ever. Liturgio, the work of the people. Oh, pastor. Well, see, my gift pastoring. Uh, he told you what it was. It, it, this is really awesome. In, 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 in Ephesians 4, he said, all right, so I'm ascending to heaven. So what I'll do is I'll give gifts to you guys. Here's your gift. Apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. All right. And so I'm going to give these gifts to you guys, to the church. And here's what they're here to do, to take care of your spiritual needs. That is not what he said. He says, what they're here to do is to get you, equip you now watch this. Oh my gosh, this is going to be hard. If you've never heard this before, you aren't going to like it, but, but I want you to listen to me. Their job is to get you ready to do ministry. So don't call me to go to the hospital when someone told you they were sick. You get in your car and get over to the hospital and lay your hands on them because you're a believer and believers lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Well, pastor, that's what we pay you to do. No, you pay me to aggravate you. <laughs> it's right on my job description. I got it in my office. Aggravate the saints, right? Well, it, actually, my job description says this. Comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and it works. See, and I, and I realize, you know, this isn't maybe something that we just really wanted to hear this morning, but it's the truth. And it's the truth. Faith works by love. I remember in Marietta one time, we, <laughs> we, our, when we moved our church out on the, out what's called the Pike in, in Marietta, we were really far removed from town. I mean, we were, we were out in the growing district. And if you ever get to Marietta and get to our, our previous pastorate, man, that church is, that church is hopping. And, and, but it's, you'll see that it's in this, we had a vision from God that it was going to be in this great growth district. And it is, everything's out there. Walmart, I mean, man, if you got a Walmart, you got everything now, right? I mean, and, uh, but they got a Walmart and they got uh, all kinds of stuff out there. So it just has bloomed and grown. Well, before there was nothing out there. It was just farm fields. And, and uh, so somebody that was just kind of a, that was a, a transient, poor individual wasn't going to usually show up in our services because they'd ha it'd be hard for them to get there. I mean, we were out there. I mean, we just weren't by the, we weren't, you know, we weren't any place where they, but this guy was apparently just traveling down the road, down Route 7 in Marietta. And so he saw our church and so he stopped in. And um, we're worshiping and he's just kind of engaged. 
And now, this blows me away because what next happened was the Lord told me. And I knew it was the Lord. And I sometimes, if you've ever had this happen, you don't like it that you know it's the Lord, right? He's told you to do something. And the Lord said, Ralph, he said, I want you to call that guy up front. I'm like, well, Lord, he may not want to come. He says, just do it. I said, all right. So I called him up front, and I says, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't know your story. And the Lord said, wash his feet. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, sir, this is a very strange thing. I know we don't normally do this in our church, but the, God has told me that I'm supposed to wash your feet. He says, well, then you better do what God told you to do. So he sat down on a little chair. Sharon was, Sharon, of course, Sharon was there. <laughs> Sorry. He sat on this chair, and I mean, took off his dirty shoes. He smelled. Nasty feet. I said, get me a basin of water. Get me a towel. Man, guys were running out, running back in. They were like Jim Krieger on fire. I mean to tell you. <laughs> They were going, and they come in, they bring that basin in, and I, we sat that guy there, and I said, sir, I want you to know this is how much Jesus Christ loves you today. And so I started washing his feet, and something happened in the service. I mean, I'm telling you, my elders, people in the congregation, I mean, people are weeping, just tears, because just this action, I'm thinking, I, I'm weeping. I can't hardly wash his feet without crying. And Sharon, of course, you know she's crying. And I mean, it's just a, I mean, the, it's just a, and I mean, it was a Holy Ghost move of the Holy Spirit in our church. It was a breakthrough moment. It was a perspective moment for our ministry. People started coming up after and handing this guy money without even thinking about what was going to happen to the money. They weren't, nobody cared. It's up to, we give it to, look, we're not giving it to you so you'll be more, you know, you'll do what we want. We're giving it to you because we love the Lord and this is what we want to do. He disappeared. We never saw him again. But our church was forever changed because of that moment, because of that moment. Probably one of the greatest people of service that, uh, in our in our time anyways, has, has been Mother Teresa, who worked in, Calcutta with the lepers. Sharon and I have seen lepers. We went to a leper colony when we were in India. Saw the little children that are being raised by their parents who are lepers, who don't have, the kids don't have leprosy, but they'll never have a chance in the caste system of India because mom and dad's a leper. Without Christ, their lives are futile. She said, some time ago, a man came to our house and he said, mother, there is a family, a Hindu family, that has eight children, and they have not eaten for a long time. Do something for them. So I took some rice, and I went. And when I arrived at their house, I could see the hunger in the children's eyes. Their eyes were shining with hunger. I gave the rice to the mother, and she took the rice, and she divided it into two. And then she went out. When she came back, I asked her, where did you go? She said, well, they're hungry also. He, she said, well, who? My next door neighbor, they're hungry. So Mother Teresa said, what struck me most was not that she gave the rice, but that she knew they were hungry. You know, when you're hungry, you're not thinking about other people's hunger. She knew. She knew that they were hungry. And she says, this is what I have come to know. Love to be true, has to hurt. And this woman who was hungry, she knew that her neighbor was also hungry. And that family happened to be a Muslim family. So it was touching and it was so real to me that she reached out in love to her neighbor. Mother Teresa also said that when I wash and clean and bind the hands of a leper, the feet of a leper, the face of a leper. She says, I do not wash and bind the wounds of the leper. I wash and bind the wounds of my Savior who gave everything for me. That's love. 
And that's the reward that we do it as unto him. Would you stand with me, please? I just ask you if you would bow your heads for just a moment this morning. Look, we're not here to put anybody on some kind of guilt trip. Maybe you came in today and you just were like, I do need a spiritual fix. Or I need lifted up. I need encouraged. I pray today in the name of Jesus that your eyes are open, that that fix, that lift, that jump start that you need is going to come through you helping others. And it is never going to come just through you singing songs and hearing sermons. Because that is not what God called you to do. God called us to serve. And I pray for those here today that you're like, you're saying in your heart, you know what? What am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing? And it doesn't necessarily have to be something in the church, but what am I doing to help others, especially people that can't help me back? I pray that you will have the, the courage, the fortitude to step up and finally admit to yourself that I'm just going to need to do it by faith, but I'm doing it in love, and I'm done making excuses. I'm done waiting. I'm done waiting. I'm done waiting. Father, I think all of us here this morning can be challenged in some way in our hearts. It's easy for all of us to just get caught up in what we've done, somehow thinking that that was enough and that, Lord, you should pat us on the head and tell us what good little servants we are because we did it. But the truth is, we didn't really do it to you. I just believe in the name of Jesus for those online and those here locally, God, that our perspective has changed today. I know that's a lot to ask in one sermon, God, but I pray that our hearts and minds would change, that, God, we would think that we have done this unto you. And, God, as we do that, Lord, that we just sense and know, Lord, your love for us and all that you've done for us in washing our feet and giving us new life, Lord God. Thank you, Jesus. You know, if you're just willing, willing to yield to this today in your life, I ask you just once again to lift your hands or a hand to the Lord and say, yes, Lord, that's me, Lord. I'll do it as unto you. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. We're going to love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Love like Jesus. Can you say amen? Hey, have a blessed day today. Thank you.